So as we are coming towards the closure of this particular session, of course your life doesn't close. So don't be um, deluded by the appearances of things. But there's a certain potency that arises in this uh, situation. Where normal activities are suspended, normal relationships are suspended, and uh, there's a potency that builds up just through that turning down of the surfaces and normal activations. And I guess on most retreats, maybe you get told how to meditate, which helps to get through the time. <laughs> but we really haven't done that yet. <laughs> kind of. Just sort of you know, just encouraging that sense of this is your life. What is it? What it's about? What does it mean? What's needed? Mm, at a very kind of basic primary level, you could say. And it's always good to um, to return to that and really have these. Uh, some of these guidelines that we've been trying to offer. Whole body, opening, spanning, waiting for things to be revealed. Gently teasing questions into that to ask what what can be revealed. Mm. And then it's some sort of a sense of how to handle, touch, mm, listen, relate to what's revealed. Mm. Trace the threads. She get for more familiar with the uh, these um, energy networks, body, heart and the reflexes, the reactions, the agitations, the uncertainties and so forth, and the fears, and suddenly, you know, some, sometimes something really kind of starts knocking, a kind of wound, you could call it. Mm. Uh. And this is uh, has to be um, acknowledged, held, and really, um, really, you're trying to encourage something you can carry with you. You have a body. The subtle body may sound kind of super esoteric and mystical, but it's actually 
this one there, you know, with all those rushes where energy, where emotions run and, you know, agitation stirs. If you just ask where the body is, right there. And then really trying to support a frame that will just hold that open as best as possible. Using the frame of the body, say that sometimes the the outer body, getting plenty of back there to, you know. (coughs) And this, uh, you know, awareness which is just sympathetic, Mm. doesn't have answers, doesn't have conclusions, just sympathetic. And learning maybe to trust that presence, because this is so uncontrived, so unlearned, if you like. It's not Buddhist, it's not particular system or technique, really. I mean, it's as, it's as bare as one can get it. <laughs> you have what you are aware, there is that. Nothing you have to kind of big attainment. Uh, what is that? You're experiencing something and you know you're experiencing it. And again, just that reminder, you you know, you're experiencing touch, you're experiencing sound, you're experiencing, and you know you're the experiencing of those things. Right? So, just bear in mind, Consciousness brings things, and you're experiencing consciousness. You're not experiencing the thing, you experience consciousness of the thing. And, you, and that means there are certain uh, biases built in, or interests us, or frightens us, or excites us, where built in to that process and so when you're aware of you're seeing something hearing something you know I'm aware of the experience of it not the thing and that helps me to kind of get a sense of perhaps the the tonalities the inclinations the avertances the you know the reactions that occur Perhaps when you see me, for example, what do you see? Hmm? And that may change. Dependent on other conditions. You're not the only one. What happens when I see you? Yeah, the stirrings of you know, you know, what you want, what you hope for, what you feel you should be, you know, what you imagine, those kind of stirrings before it really starts formulating. 
Are you aware of that? Awareness of that. This is how chitta is being stirred. That's what we trace, the energetic stirrings. Because there's a lot of learning in that. It's crucial because we're learning life, not learning meditation. We're learning life. Life messages. And maybe some of the skills that Laura and I have tried to present will help to help you to learn life. This is the important thing. And particularly when this session terminates, then you want to continue learning your life. And you've learnt maybe some of this holding, some of the, the inquiries, and some of the patterns that arise in your life, in your living. experience something to do with companionship however you know, minimal it may seem this is uh, considered absolutely essential and uh, you know, be aware of what that signifies it doesn't necessarily mean we even know each other that well we're in some sort of shared continuum where we are sharing by our presence, by our actions, values, energies, you know, listening in the interviews, we're aware of each other as voices, as the human voice speaking from the human heart. Mm-hmm. This is really important to get to help learning your life because your life is everybody's life. Mm. And one of the problems I think it comes up if we are purely meditating on our own is we get very much my life is so different than everybody else's. And that, that sense of then it becomes tangled. So actually, when you go to these interviews, hearing 
human voice, human heart, everybody's life, its happiness and stress and attempts and aspirations. It's also I think, very important to, to learn that beyond the personalities, uh, you know, beyond the peculiarities. Here's the aspirations. Here's the struggle. Here's the tentative. Here's the struggling. Here's the happy moments. There's happy entries. This is the human experience. And learn it. You don't learn it as an idea. You get the, the sense of that. This is very uh, important to get some kind of template of what human life is. Because, you know, we get the kind of mainstream model, it's what is it? School, job, kids, marriage, whatever, retire, dead. <laughs> What's that about? <laughs> I could never get that myself. That's why I didn't want to do it. <laughs> but it's Kalyanamita, right? So, to, and uh, you know, sometimes we think, oh, you know, of other people, group situations gets in the way. Really, got to meditate. My own. There's a very famous, uh, well, I find it very famous, but it's a very interesting sutta where the Buddha is going with his attendant. And his attendant at that time was a young monk called Megia. And Buddha says, so they, they're on walkabout. And Megia says, oh, Lord, Lord, you know, Bhante, please, Bhante, you finished all your work, you're, you're enlightened. I want to go off and do this striving and get that realization experience. And Buddha says, no, no, Megha, you've got to stay with me and look after me. You're my attendant. Uh, Bhante, Bhante, <laughs> Bhante, you finished your work and, you know, you've done what you know. I, I like to do all that stuff, that striving stuff, you know, that really gets you there. Oh, can I go off on my own? Megia, you're supposed to stay with me. Third time. He asked him, Okay, Megia, that's what you need to do. Go. So he goes off, gets in his, under this tree, right? He was striving. Seeing all these unwholesome thoughts, sensuality, harming, violence, abuse, <laughs> corralled his mind. Completely flooded with all his defilements, and runs back to the Buddha with his tail between his legs. Megia, I told you. When the heart's deliverance is not not ready, it is very, it is absolutely necessary you maintain companionship. Yeah. If you maintain companionship, then it must be proper companionship then you will grow. Because if you maintain proper companionship, suitable companionship, you won't have to struggle. You'll immediately get presentations of virtue. Yeah. You'll immediately get presentations of true living Dhamma, as it's being lived. You'll get presentations, you'll learn, yeah. and you'll be ready. Until you've done that, you won't be ready. 
So getting this uh, teaching encouragement, stay, stay until it's ready. This is the kind of uh, sort of a weaning process, would we say. And that's still very much the model. And it's not making people infantile, it's just being realistic. Because probably as you might discern as you go into this kind of more whole body sense, and you're putting aside a lot of the, the strategies and do-its, you start to find yourself moving into fairly early territory. You know, you know, young childhood territory, relational experiences that were never quite right or the results of it, never quite right. Well, that's what you've got to do. You return, I mean, whether you like it or not, <laughs> because you have to return through that to find the ground. Hmm. So as I've suggested, you know, we all want to reach the sky. Hey, limitless bliss, open awareness, cosmic consciousness, unrestricted awareness, the sky. <laughs> up there, up there. <laughs> well, well, you don't touch the sky until you can get the earth, because you've got to grow there. I mean, see, as I said, you've got to grow, you've got to have a tree to grow that way need to get into the ground, grounded, properly grounded, properly grounded, earthed, plugged in, back, legs, feet, ground, daily, ground, ground, ground. Then, and that's encouraged, and you're in an environment that's safe, you're hearing Dhamma, you're getting those encouragements, that will grow. Can't stop. Must grow. But of course, as we come into that ground, we move towards that ground, there's some curious disturbances because we, the wires going to get crossed, or maybe they don't, but we begin to enter the ground of our own birth, of our historical birth. And there's all that confusion and unfinished stuff. Mm -hmm. and maybe it's not even your birth maybe it's still working through drifting down through some of those earlier years childhood drifting down through that moving down through that. you have to move through it to touch the earth but of course coming to that this is stopping me meditating I can't meditate because of all this disturbing stuff tell me how to meditate so I don't have to experience this disturbing stuff I want to get to the sky. Can we the meditation or get me up there away from all this disturbing stuff which is getting in the way of the meditation? No. Meditation is the disturbing stuff. <laughs> Opening, learning to open around the dis disturbing stuff. Because then, if that's handled, 
then we will have really touched the ground and be ready. Mm -hmm. This is kind of, we say, straight Dhamma. And even what is that, um, you know, what are we aiming for? I think uh, when I started, I spent uh, sort of my later, from my later childhood, I finally stopped screaming and crying and running around demanding attention from my mother. When I was about four, and I could read. All that animation that had nowhere to land, she was worked off her. You know, she was frazzled and sometimes threw me out of the house, couldn't handle it anymore. Mm. And uh, I could read, and I could go into this world of elves and heroes and stories and kings and dragons. A wonderful world. And I loved being in that animated world where everything trees spoke and chairs jumped, and there were frightening witches, and it was, and it was all, everything was alive, and I was in this world. I loved it, being in that world where I could actually be and experience all my energies racing and roaring, and being frightened, and fighting with it, with, in wars. <laughs> all that energy was able to find a place to, to express itself. And I finally stopped screaming. Energy got somewhere to go. So, you know, as you, as you, so I was a very, then I became a very avid reader as, as a young person and studied a lot because I just loved being in all that and go into these, so much so I kind of was oblivious the way my body was. And I'd be out there. You know, walking to, to walk into school and daydream about this and the other. You know, many crashing into things with my bike because I was in some daydream about something or the other. Mm -hmm. And then getting into various drugs in order to get even more of the magical stuff. In some spaced out state, falling over everything because you don't even know where your body is. <laughs> and then, hey, this is <laughs> you know, some, some realization of. No, oh, no, this is so what? <laughs> you know, and then I'm trying to meditate to get it together. So when I meditate, I'll be having some really straight, steady head realms to go into. Cosmic consciousness, something like that. You know, this kind of thing. So now I can meditate through this, get into these clear states. You know, a bit more adult clear states like you know, luminosities, jhanas, lights, you know, clear consciousness, knowing, wisdom, so forth. Meditate. You know, so I'm prepared to go into a monastery to do that, just shut down so I can get there into this situation. And that's what you did, you meditated. Dear Lord. But there's always something disturbing it. Namely, there's 
sounds, sometimes people, events, in that state. And then, you know, my father had said, because you have to ask permission in order to go forth as a monk, so you have to invite your parents as part of the thing. My father, my mother had been a bit worried about, you know, what was going to happen to me if I didn't have a proper bank account and, you know, a job. So like my dad said, well, son, whatever you do, if it makes you happy, do it <laughs> and support it. And he said, the only thing I'd remind you of is you're living, bravely living, got to respect the customs and the conventions of the people you're living with. That's it. So, it's, so I went, did this thing, and then occasionally he'd write. Uh, and, uh, and one day they um, brought me this letter from him with aerograms in those things. You scribble tiny little words on a sheet of blue paper, and it's an aerogram. And uh, came to me, and it was this letter from him, and they brought me monks brought me these two things. One was an aerogram, and was this other thing, some kind of piece of paper. And the aerogram was saying, oh, you know, I think you've got the right idea, son. I think I'm going to, it's what you're doing. Oh, my life has been a mess, just working all my house, God ever sent, headaches, problems. I think you've got the right idea. I'm going to come out and see you and see what's happening. Check it out. So I got to say, oh, that's really nice. Owned up the other things. Your dad's in hospital dying. And the telegram had arrived, same time as the aerogram. So Russia got phone. said, Yeah, he's he's on the way out. Rip. And then somehow or another meditating didn't seem to <laughs> Focusing on the rising and falling of my abdomen didn't seem to really hit the spot anymore. <laughs> so I had to go home. I better get home and see my mum, check things out. And she was obviously shattered because he'd just gone. You know, one day didn't feel well. Went up to went up to the room, lay down. Bam! Took him out on his back. Three days later, he's dead. So, so she was, uh, I didn't have any way of handling it. I was trying to, focusing on the rising form of the abdomen was definitely not going to do anything, any good, any good. So you're trying to sort of get around this thing. I no equipment at all to manage it. And so, you know, just something said, I just got to get, I got to get grounded. I got to get out. So I remember just going out and walking to my father's grave, which was on a little trail through a wood field, just standing there and just standing in the rain, standing in the rain for an hour, just trying to feel here, the rain, just the rain washing over just to get some sense of actually having a being <laughs> here on the earth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was kind of instinctive. It wasn't a, it wasn't a meditation technique. <laughs> instinctive to get to that. 
So, I mean, long stories, of course. Mm. Mm. But then, you know, this is about those kinds of things, isn't it? And it's about, you know, what happened and why I was up in my head all the time. You know, in the sense of the very difficult situation of the family, you know, just after the Second World War, everything's bombed up. Um, Dad left school when he was 14 in order to just have to help my granddad. He used to ride, drive a horse and cart around London delivering coal. So granddad was on his own. So my dad was 14, you better leave school and help me make a living. So my dad had no qualifications whatsoever, just knew how to work. So that's what he did. And after school, well, he just went around trying to get work, 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 best job, deal things, work all the time. So that meant, you know, mother had a huge amount of stuff to do with the kids. Uh, so she was frazzled. No blame, no blame, that's how it was. But then, you know, you, you, you don't... There's <laughs> no blame, it's just that's a condition. And so you, first you're not getting the attention because your dad's working, comes home, he's totally exhausted. Your mum's running around doing this, that, and other, she can't manage it. You know? So you don't get it. The kind of... <laughs> the, the environment. And you tend to carry that same model into other environments. You say there's that model unconsciously you carry it into other environments. Yeah. Which means male figure you can't get to him because he's always busy. The mother, you're a bit of a nuisance, you're noisy. She started to be quiet. So you carry carry that kind of model without even knowing it, till you begin to sense where you're responding to people, you know, when you're responding to people, you've got the feeling that, you know, at a certain level, you feel women sense you as too loud, too big, too noisy. Don't be, at a certain level, that's your experience. Too big, too noisy, too loud. You know, and men would sooner are busy doing things. You're going to kind of playing, recognizing that playing out in uh, in his in life, you know. So, I was stayed in England, and Ajahn Chah came over. He was very, very special. Because, but then by, you know, I came into a situation, I mean, hadn't been properly trained, so I had all kinds of, I hadn't really had any, hardly any training in the monastic discipline, so I had all kinds of training rules I'd never caught up with. Um, one of them, my teacher said, you know, these robes, these 
too small for us big Westerners. You have to buy your robe. So I bought the game. I had some money. I gave him to buy robe. When I came to this help, and they said, if you bought anything, you've got to give it up. <laughs> okay. So I had to give. I got to say, oh, okay, we've got something in the stores. Of course, it's too small. And it's the wrong color. So I had this little skimpy tropical savon. <laughs> which only <laughs> reached just below my knees. <laughs> and this old second-hand, which was kind of yellow, this old second-hand robe, which was too small, which was kind of half-faded pink, because the, the dyes had worn out. So I looked totally weird and geeky and freaky. And then Ajahn Chah rolled up. <laughs> You know, you see, it's this super strict, you know, super, you know, there's this kind of wacky, looking like a kind of somewhere between a cuckoo and a flamingo. <laughs> <laughs> and bless him, he didn't turn a hair, he just, mm, there, you know, it's kind of, mm, but I thought, oh my goodness, you know, I'm also impure, don't fit in, you know, he's too busy, great man, too busy. Um, so I'd always kind of keep keep back, you know, and think, I've got to meditate because I've got to meditate to make sure I'm doing good enough. Meditate, meditate. That's the only thing I can do. Meditate. So he'd have these situations where down in the in in this room in this little vihara, they'd really gathering and he'd be start rolling stuff out, chatting away to people, really warm, really friendly, you know, receiving people, chuckling, teasing them, you know. Keep warming the situation up, you know. And it would go on from like six o'clock, start about six, and it'd go on, you know, and people were flaking out. Translators were flaking out. At 10, they were flaking out, and they had to get another one in because he was just rolling, you know. He kept going till about two. The f- translators were all over the floor because <laughs> he had so much juice, he put it out, you know. And I think, oh, you know, well, I can't, I've got to go and meditate. So I'd go off into my room and meditate. Yeah. So, and, uh, but I thought I'd try to, you know, be, be um, you know, make some gestures. So I had this little woolly hat. I thought I'd give me a hat. Nice thing. So I kind of said, I had a very, very limited bit of time. So I came up to him, gave him his hat. And I said the equivalent was what, Hey, you want this? <laughs> gave him this hat, you know. Hey, so the only time I have is say, you want this? Gave him that. And of course, all, all the translators went, oh God, you know, you're supposed to say, please may I have the occasion to make an offering to Lumpur. <laughs> and he just took the hat. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And things rolled on, you know, but I was so kind of anxious because I was impure and weird and so forth. And then one day, so it, you know, they, they, he was moving around, they, they threw me in the back of the car to help out. So we got out and the monk was with me, he said, you go and carry his bags in. So I carried his bags and they closed the door. <laughs> so then with Ajahn Chah, oh God, this is it, you know, I'm so impure. And he just started warming. He's kind of laughing, teasing. You get a little bit what you were saying, but it's mostly this kind of 
happy energy rolling over, happy warm energy rolling over. And you know, and he'd say something very simple about food, and I'd say, yeah, that's right, you know, we just had this thing for an hour. Amazing how you communicate with about five words in common, just this warming feeling coming out of it. Oh, wow, you know, the sense of father comes back. Because <laughs> that's where, the, you know, when did that time my father was like that, father comes back. Yeah. And then, of course, it was time for him to go back to Thailand. And I thought, you know, I better go do some meditation. So I said, so we might rising and falling. And then you had to be tuned in, you see, because there were no real announcements. You just had to tune in what was happening. So the other monks knew he was going, said, oh, go and hang out with him. Hang out with him. And it was because it was his last day there. You know, he, he just started giving them things. He said, a pair of socks. He didn't need a game. Some of his monk, a pair of socks. They'd given him some kind of warm clothes. They gave his monks some warm, his warm clothes. Whatever he got while he was in the West, he gave it. Gave it away to, to the monks, and they were all kind of sort of tearful. This is their loving father, and this is he's kind of yeah, you can keep this. And he went off, you know, because I was sitting one room meditating. And this uh, this monk came along and said, Oh, Rupa Cha gives you this, and it was the woolly hat. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So I was too busy meditating. <laughs> and then, because then he got, he was just getting some sickness, and he went back to Thailand, and then he, not, you know, basically went into his um, long 10 years of sickness and death. Before he finished speaking, Ajahn Salado went to see him. And then when Ajahn Sumedha came back, he said, it's funny. When Paul John was asking after you, he said, he said something like, how's that? I think he would use a special. <laughs> but I think he might have been distinctive or weird, but I don't know. It was a kind of polite way of saying, the one who stuck out, how's he doing? You know? And so he remembered, you know, that sense of, you know, Kalyanamita. He just like, didn't really have the, the ability to reach it. It's coming this way you know, because of that, you know, that retraction from a relationship. You know, you retract from relationship. You know, everybody's doing it, <laughs> and then we've, we're feeling that sense of she doesn't like me, so I retract, and she feels a sense of he, she is rejecting me, so she retracts. <laughs> <laughs> it bangs around, you know. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, and you start to, all this stuff, you know, I had to, of course, I had to take responsibility in the monastery. And then I was asked to go and be the abbot of a monastery. There's no, there's no guidelines, no advice. It's just go and do it. Okay, in this monastery. And the previous abbot had just run off <laughs> with some woman. So, so the whole thing, the monastery's in a kind of state of shock, and I roll up, hi guys. 
and everything, you know, who are you, kind of thing. Because <laughs> there were people kind of jangled and freaked out, felt abandoned, betrayed by the, the teacher and the leader, and then, you know, I turn up, I'm the new leader. Oh, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> so in that fracturing, relational fracturing occurring, you know, the loss of faith, loss of trust, you know, fracturing occurring, and then all the fracturing opened up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the monks just, mm -hmm. you know that, okay, you're, you're the new guy, so what? Yeah. And so they're, we're not accepting you as our leader, kind of thing. And the nuns back off, you know? With all that male authority figure coming up for them. I go, oh, well, happy days. <laughs> Try to meditate. <laughs> it's amazing how many things stop you from meditating. <laughs> and then you sort of begin to realize, well, you know, what's just okay? What's happening here? The agitations, disturbances of fracturing. You know, what one's own part in that. Mm. Mm. You know, the rejection from the mother. There's always this sense of I'm about to do something wrong. When the women arrive, about to put my foot in it. And you are, you will. And some of them will be coming in with a sense of male authority figure, so chemistry. It's amazing how, you know, one somehow manages to come through that just because of the sheer basic goodwill that somehow gets around all this fracturing and, uh, and encompasses it. Uh, mm, mm. So eventually I managed to trace some of these patterns down to birth mm. and even pre-birth. Mm. It's contemplating his energies, giving to track what's happening, the repeated patterns of it. Yeah, realizing, ah, birth. There was that push to get out because what was happening? And I asked my mother, oh yes, I was under sedation. So she wasn't there. So I had to push my own way out because she wasn't there. So that feeling of like, where's my mother? She's not there. That's, that's, that's the beginning. You can trace that. Whose fault's that? Mm -hmm. And then all the other, because of that, there's an intense need for attention to try to get her back, trying to find her. But of course, noisy kid doing that, it's only so much you can handle, so a bit more rejection comes in. But you know, when you recognize just a sense of the, oh wow, you know, there's no blame causes and conditions 
And this, uh, you have to just, something has to widen to spread over that high ground. It's, uh, you know, the human ground, the human ground, nothing super celestial about it, the human ground, you find the human ground, and you cultivate it, that's just your meditation, well that's your, that's your practice, that's part of it. You get in the ground properly, and you begin to recognize what keeps you off it, what keeps you from settling. Look in, practice with that, in your own body, feeling that stirrings and agitations. And in, particularly if you're a companion to talk to, to talk to, or just be heard by so the resonances help you get the ground tree will grow Stay with the ground, the tree will grow. Avoid the distractions or recognize the distractions are coming from that fundamental animation that needs to be heard and resolved. It's all animation. Defilements are animation. Breathing's animation. Grief is animation. Tension's animation. It's all animation. It's just that. We span that and listen to that and handle that and give compassion to that. You know, no blaming anyone. The story, you know, since uh, let's uh, not be too painful about all this, a nice story, what's this Zen story, so Zen's pretty, well, there's a Zen story for you, this one, so the master, someone sees the master, the master seems so, you know, accomplished, tuned, humorous, light at ease, and so, well, what you have, I have, I have the unsurpassable Dhamma. Master, Master, give me the unsurpassable Dhamma. Well, it's not easy, you know, not easy to find it. Uh, look, look, I got, I'll make donations, I'll build your monastery, I look up it. My unsurpassable Dhamma can't be bought by that. Okay. So he goes, Student goes back. This is master got it. Oh, get these teachings down. And spends ten years learning all the suttas, the scriptures, the teachings. And so comes back, master, master. 
I've got, I've learned all the teachings. I've got it all down. I've learned it all down. Please accept me as a disciple. I've got, I know what, I'm, now I know, I know what we're doing. All this intellectual knowledge just there ahead. It's just up in your head. That's not good enough for my unsurpassable Dhamma. Goes away, practices the austerities, learns meditation, spends 10 years cultivating meditation, comes back. Master, Master, give me your unsurpassable Dhamma. I've learned all this teach teachings. I've given up my life. I've given all my requisites away. I've learned meditation. I've got the jhanas. I've got this sound. And the other. Oh, this spiritual ego trip. <laughs> Too much egotistic self striving. Now, you know, my unsurpassable dumb was beyond that. <laughs> so, well, gets up to, oh, look, you can take your unsurpassable dumb and shove it up your backside. <laughs> The master, the master goes to run out the door and the master says, hey, now you've got my answer possible Dharma, look after it. <laughs> yeah. What do you make of that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Find your own ground. But well, we don't find our own ground on day one, you know. We have to do that, uh, that training, right? learning, right? grinding, right? uh, relinquishing, right? apprenticeship, right? you know, time and time again, and opening into the field, opening to the field, serving, giving, receiving, you know, learning life, learning life, learning life. Virtue, virtue, learning life with aspiration, learning life with friendship, until healing the ground, and then, then you've got somewhere to stand, stand, touch the sky. <laughs>